Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you on this beautiful weekend. Um, I get to continue in our series we've been doing really since Easter called So Now What? A look at the early church. And, you know, and at Easter, uh, the resurrected Jesus appeared to Peter, James, John, the rest of the followers a number of different times. Uh, he ate meals with them. He taught them things, spent time with them. And then he ascended back to heaven. And he basically said to, to his followers, hey, I want you to continue on the mission that that I've started, right? I want you to continue. And that's what we've been talking about the last number of weeks, talking about being his witnesses. We've been talking about making disciples, baptizing them. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is the, is the primary way they, they did all those things is not by sitting down and having these deep planned out strategy sessions, right? They didn't have these, these discipleship making committee meetings. Instead, the primary way they did that was they went about their everyday lives, the regular normal stuff they always did, but they kept their eyes open looking for the activity of God, looking for opportunities or divine opportunities, divine appointments in which they might be able to get to share the good news about who Jesus was with people. And that's really what I wanna kind of talk about today. And the story we're gonna look at today in Acts 3 is a really amazing example of that. It's a story where Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were simply going about their normal activities of life, the normal everyday things. There was nothing particularly special about that day, this day that we're gonna look at today, Uh, but they kept their eyes open looking for what God might be up to. So we're just gonna dive right into it, if that's okay. Uh, We're gonna be in Acts 3, the beginning, chapter, verse one. Chapter three, verse one, I meant to say. And it starts off like this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So let me pause right there, setting up the scene a little bit again. Like I said, Peter and John going about their normal day. They are headed to the temple in Jerusalem to pray with many other Jewish people at kind of the normal time, three in the afternoon. Uh, There probably would have been a good sized crowd coming to worship. Basically, they were going to church, right? They're all showing up at a certain time, going to worship God when they meet this man. This man, and we'll find out later uh, in Acts that this man who was, who was born um, unable to walk was actually around 40 years old. And every day, some of his family or friends carried him to his regular spot by the gate, the, going into the temple to basically ask for money, to beg for money. And this would have been a really good spot to do that because it was, the temple was probably the largest gathering place in Israel. And so imagine today somebody going to like sitting outside the gate and asking for money at an Ohio State football game, right? Or a nationwide arena before a concert, right? We have, you know there's gonna be a large amount of people coming to that one place at that one time, a lot of potential people 
to ask for a few spare coins from. Now, there's another important fact about this location is that it was the closest this lame man was ever able to getting inside the temple itself. See, this man, even though he was probably Jewish, would not have been allowed to go into the temple courts further than the gate because of his disability. There was a lot that was misunderstood about disabilities and illnesses back in that time. A lot of times it was misunderstood to be a, a judgment of God, a cursing of God because of, some, some of you, something you'd done, a sin you committed, or maybe a sin your parents had committed that had caused you to have that disability. And so, so he had been excluded from being allowed to go into the temple courts themselves. But that was all about to change because of this divine appointment that God had planned with Peter and John. Now I've used this phrase divine appointment a couple times. What do I mean by that? A divine appointment is a seemingly chance meeting, seemingly chance, actually orchestrated by God, often with a person you've never met before, usually involving spiritual gifts or other supernatural phenomenon, but with the purpose, ultimate purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus. Okay, so, so it's, a, it's a random encounter with somebody that you probably don't really know very well or know at all, and something supernatural or spiritual gift being, being expressed, but really it's, it's, a, it's opening up the door to the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And, and so can you think of any, any random encounters you've ever had with somebody uh, that turned out to be God moments? right? And maybe, and I'm not talking about like something like fate or the stars aligning. I'm talking about where there was an unplanned interaction with somebody, maybe that you had, or maybe they had with you. Maybe, maybe somebody that God led somebody to you to share God's love with you in some way. Maybe waiting in line at the store or sitting in a waiting room, maybe at your kid's band concert or pumping gas at the gas station down the road. Peter and John were just doing what they had done time after time after time, going to the temple to pray, just like the rest of the followers of, uh, or the Jewish followers at the time, uh, going in with the crowd. They probably passed this beggar many times before, if you think about it. If, if this was the spot he went every day, they probably passed this beggar many times before. In fact, it's interesting, they probably passed this beggar with Jesus many times before. Think about that. And yet Jesus didn't heal this man. And it makes me wonder, I wonder if God had it planned for this moment at this time. And it says in in verse four, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. He had his eyes wide open. They saw him, they valued him as a person. Most would have walked by and just ignored him. But Peter and John gave him the dignity of looking at him. And then Peter said, look at us. Look at us. I imagine, I wonder if, if the, the, the shame that the man felt that he cast his eyes down, you know, kept his head down asking for money. And Peter says, look at us. Verse five. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly 
the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's, I talk about a miracle, right? A divine appointment. 40 years of never being able to walk. And Peter, as, as he begins to lift the man up instantly, his ankles and feet become strong. And the words that are used, translated feet and ankles here, that the author and doctor, Luke, uses in this passage are interesting because in the original language, they are not found anywhere else in the Bible. And the reason why they're not found anywhere else in the Bible is because they are the technical medical terms for feet and ankles, like the scientific, that we might think of it as like the scientific name, right? Of those terms. It's like somebody, only like Luke, who was a doctor could appreciate, you know, the, what, this, what this miracle really was. And, and in verse eight, it says uh, that when it says jump to his feet, it implies that something that was out of socket is now in socket and that the ligaments are attached and aligned and the tendons and the muscles are attached and aligned. So we can appreciate the medical detail that Luke includes here in his validation of this miracle. But the aftermath implications of this miracle, I think are even greater than the, the actual miracle itself. And here's what I mean by that. I don't know if you caught it, caught it but in verse eight, where does the healed man first go once he can walk? He goes into the temple courts for the first time in his life. He is included in, he is welcomed in, he's able to go in. For 40 years, he's been excluded and now he can go in. So it's, this, this story is more, more than just about a person's physical healing and physical restoration. It's also about his spiritual healing, his spiritual restoration, his familial healing and familial restoration. He is welcomed in to the family of God. Verse nine, it continues on. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Now, I'm gonna, I'll pause right there. The, um, the people saw the man walking and recognized him. And so they start coming, flooding in. What's going on? This is amazing. Like, this is a miracle. And Peter begins to notice this crowd gathering. And it's like, oh, light bulb goes off. There's more to this divine appointment than just healing this, this one particular man. There's an opportunity here. And he begins to speak to the whole crowd. And we're not gonna read the rest of, of what he says today. I would encourage you to read the rest of Acts 3 and um, sometime this week. But basically he gives this sermon on the spot. He gives this sermon where he, he shares the story of Jesus. And at the end, at the end, it says that those who put their faith in Jesus grew from 3,000, which Michael talked about that last weekend, 3,000 to now 5,000. In this one moment, 2,000 more people give their life to Jesus and begin to follow him. 
Again, you know, talking about a divine appointment, the definition, again, of a divine appointment is it's more, the, more, more than just the supernatural event. It's actually about the sharing of the good news. That's the ultimate purpose, is that that provides the avenue or the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And in this story, that's exactly what happens. Peter and John weren't, weren't just there to, to be a part of this miracle of healing this man. It wasn't even just about this one man coming into the family of God and, and becoming a follower of Jesus. It was about 2,000 people witnessing it and, get, and giving their life to him. Almost any time the phrase divine appointment comes up, there's another phrase that's often mentioned, and it's the phrase power evangelism. Power evangelism. And that's what's happening in this story. Power evangelism is where the, the explanation of the saving work of Jesus' death and resurrection, the explanation, is effective because it's accompanied with the demonstration of God's power through signs and wonders. So it's where a person sees the demonstration of God's power that opens their ears to be able to hear the message of God, God's message, and then respond to that. You know, here in Acts was this amazing demonstration of healing this man that was followed by the explanation by Peter of the good news of Jesus that led 2,000 people to put their faith in him. Now, if you were here last weekend, Michael talked about something called the Ingle Scale. If you were here, you might remember that. It was kind of this list. If you want to throw that slide up here, uh, uh, you don't have to memorize this. If you weren't here last weekend, uh, there are cards out in the lobby. You can pick one up at the info counter. But basically, the Ingle Scale is a series of stages or steps a person takes towards first being open to the idea that God even exists, right? To being interested in God, to eventually making a decision to follow Jesus and then to spend the rest of their lives growing in that relationship, growing in their faith. And we talked about, you know, sometimes this series of stages can take years, decades for a person to slowly open up to the idea that God is who he is and what he says, who he says he is and that he's pursuing them and loves them and died for them, right? Uh, And it might take many conversations with different people you know, maybe you have a conversation with a friend or a family member when you're younger, and then later on you have a, a, a conversation with a coworker, and then years later it's another conversation with a neighbor, and slowly a person starts make, taking small steps towards God. The interesting thing about power evangelism is it can cause a person to basically be thrust through these stages almost all at once, right? Where you can go from a negative eight right? To having this vague awareness of Christianity, all of a sudden to repentance and putting your faith in Jesus all in one moment, because something just happened that I can no longer deny. Something amazing just happened that has to be, I mean, God has to be real, that Jesus has to be real. And John Wimber, the father of the, of, of the Vineyard Movement, he used to talk about this. He used to talk about a power evangelism, and he would tell this personal story uh, and of a divine appointment that, that, that demonstrates this. One time, John was on an airplane. He was flying from New York City to Chicago. And he's sitting there, and he looks across the aisle at this man he's never met before, a stranger. And all of a sudden, in his mind, 
he, he sees the word adulterer on the guy's side of the guy's face and the name Jane underneath it. And it's not like the guy had that tattooed or written in Sharpie marker. It wasn't actually there. But in his mind, he saw those words. And he's staring at the guy and he's thinking, I wonder what, what's going on? And the man notices John staring at him, which is always awkward, right? And he says, what are you looking at? And John says, well, actually I was, I was looking at you and I'm wondering, does the name Jane mean anything to you? And the guy's eyes got real big and he said, we need to talk. And so he, he, he invites John to go to a different part of the plane. It was a big plane. They go into this upstairs part. There's like a bar lounge up there. They go up there. And the guy's like, where did you hear that name? How do you know that name? And John basically tells him what happened. He said, well, I think, I think God told me. And I think God wants you to, to end this relationship. He said, I think he wants you to ask for his forgiveness. And the guy says, okay, okay, how do I do that? And basically John starts leading him in a prayer, like praying and, and giving his life to Jesus. And once John starts, the man just kind of takes off on his own, like, oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, oh God, oh God. And he starts confessing all this stuff out loud. And, and the man's crying and John's like, he starts getting emotional. Like it's this beautiful moment of repentance. The stewardess is overhearing all this and she's crying. And, and there's this beautiful moment of, of, of this man very quickly moving into relationship with God because of this supernatural thing that nobody could have known. This stranger could have never known about this man. And then after they pray, he says, okay, so what do I do now? And John says, well, I think, I think God wants you to tell your wife. And he said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, well, the reason why I wanted to come up here is because I was sitting next to my wife. And that's why I didn't want you to say anything right where we were there. He said, well, I think God wants you to, to confess it to your wife. And the guy took it literally, literally went back to his seat and spilled it all right there on the plane. And John went back to his seat and he said, I couldn't hear everything, but I could tell she was really hurt and she was really upset. And she kept looking over at me going like, what? Like, you know, like, like how? And he, as he's telling the whole story and, and eventually the husband leads the wife to Jesus in that moment. The power, that, that's power evangelism. Talk about a divine appointment. And John, whenever he tells that story, he says, you know, people ask me to come up with a book or a diagram, but I don't know how you write a diagram to teach that, right? How, how, how can you do that? Well, you can't. You can't because, because it's dependent on the Holy Spirit moving in the moment. Right? You, and it's the same with Peter and John in this story in Acts 3. They were dependent on the Holy Spirit. You cannot plan divine appointments, right? They are spontaneous, at least on our end. They're spontaneous. They're not spontaneous to God, but they're spontaneous on our end. But what we can do is we can learn to have our eyes wide open and to look for them. We can, we can learn to look for them. But how do we do that if there's not like some cookie cutter strategy? Like first do this, then do this, then do this. Well, I think, I think what it is we can learn to have uh, three attitudes. We can learn to have three attitudes. We can, we can learn to have the, uh, these attitudes. Peter and John had them, Wimber had them as well. They're the attitude of availability, the attitude of attentiveness, and the attitude of action. Availability, attentiveness, and action. So first, the, the attitude of availability. First, 
We have to be open to the idea that God is still in the business of wanting people to come into relationship with him and that he is more than capable of using supernatural ways of getting people's attention and that he can and is able to use you and me to partner with him in that. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's, that's actually possible? That God might, just might want to use you in some way to partner with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's not through your power, it's his power, his power, right? A power that, that transcends the rational. It's not irrational, but it goes beyond the rational in order that the rational good news and gospel of Jesus can be explained. Do you believe that's possible that he could use you? Are you open to that? You might think, well, yeah, I think that's possible. Yes, I do, because it's in the Bible. I just don't think it's possible through me. And then, you know, God might use other people to do that, but I'm not special like that. Well, the truth is, is that Peter and John were not particularly special in and of themselves. John Wimber wasn't particularly special in and of himself. What made them special was that God chose to work through them and God chose them and God has chosen you. He's chosen you and me to to continue to be his disciples. The same Holy Spirit that was in them lives inside you and me if you're a Christian. The same Holy Spirit, whether you feel it or not. The only difference between you and them might just be your lack of attitude of availability. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. He said, you don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask God. You don't ask because maybe you aren't even open to the idea that it's possible. And so for some of you, if this is a new idea, if this is uncomfortable, if this is really stretching, today it might simply be God inviting you to start asking to be available or open to it. To go to work each day saying, Lord, I don't know how you wanna use me today, but I'm, I'm open to the idea that you might want to use me in some way to go to school, to go to the store, to go to different places, to say, Lord, if there's, Jesus, if there's somebody you want me to just encourage today or talk to today or use me in some way, I'm open to that today. I'm available to that. That might be the first step. Second step is an attitude of attentiveness. Attentiveness. You know, uh, we ask for eyes to be wide open. Uh, That's one thing. It's another thing to start looking for it, right? Like Peter and John did in Acts, in, the, in Acts 3, it says in verse 3, when Peter, I'm sorry, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter and John were looking, going about their normal everyday lives with eyes wide open, and they demanded his attention. There was some sort of level of expectation here. You know, and I kind of like Wimber was staring at that one man trying to figure out, is God, are you doing something here? This isn't in the, we don't know what Peter and John were thinking, but I wonder if they were doing something similar, staring at this, this beggar thinking, God, are you up to something here? Trying to decipher, trying to listen, trying to watch. Whatever it was, They were both available and attentive to the possibility that God might wanna use them in that present moment to let the kingdom of God come slicing in. And I know for myself, 
And for some of us too often, we aren't really going about our days really looking with expectation that God might want to do something. And so for some of us today, maybe we are open, we are available to the possibility, but his invitation now is to take the next step and to start really looking for it, to start looking for opportunities that God might want to use us in some way, in some people's lives. And then finally, step three. Step three is the attitude of action, action. Peter didn't hesitate or walk away. He went for it. He took a risk. He took a chance, a chance that could have resulted in him being wrong, a chance that could have resulted in him looking foolish or failing, right? But he took a chance to speak to the man, uh, to, to, to grab the man's hand, to begin to lift him up. And it was in that instant, it was in the instant of grabbing the man and lifting him up that the man's ankles and feet became strong and were healed. Not the instant before or the instant after. It was in the instant of action that the healing took place. And so when, when you start going about your day, with an attitude of being available and being attentive, that's all just internal, right? Nobody knows what you're thinking except for God. The hard part is then taking a step that other people might see or hear, right? It's taking a step of action. That's the most difficult step. But like, like Wimber, we can test that out, right? Wimber didn't just say to the person, hey, I know you're an adulterer. <laughs> He said, hey, does the name Jane mean anything to you? And if he would have been like, nope, doesn't mean anything. Okay, well then, you know, move on. No harm, no, no, no you know, nothing, nothing wrong or no harm, no foul is what I was trying to say, right? But eventually, eventually we have to be willing to be open to taking a step, to taking a swing, if you want to think of it like that. And honestly, there are many times where I haven't. There are many times where I've sensed God leading me up to the plate, if you want to go with that kind of analogy. And I've chickened out, right? I've just stood there. Uh, you know, maybe I, a thought popped into my head about a person in line or at the gas station and I ignored it and I got my car and I went home. And I, and I, and I know God isn't mad at me. I know he isn't like, Andrew, you blew it. Like, you know, you messed up. I guess you're not really a Christian. No, God isn't like that. He's patient, he's gracious, and he's always pursuing uh, that other person. And there'll be other opportunities in that person's life, I know. Uh, just like God is always pursuing us. But, but if all we do is think about going up to the plate and just standing there, we're never willing to take a swing, uh, then we're never gonna get to experience the joy of every once in a while hitting a home run and partnering with God and the joy of all of that. You know, in keeping with this kind of baseball analogy, uh, do any of you remember a player named Reggie Jackson? Any of you guys remember Reggie Jackson? If you're a baseball fan, you probably remember him. One of the all-time greats of Major League Baseball. He, won, uh, he played for uh, the Athletics, the Orioles, the Yankees, and the Angels throughout his career from the late 60s to the late 80s. And he was known as one of the great power hitters of all time. You can see he hit 563 home runs in his career in 21 seasons, 14-time All-Star player, five, five World Series championships, um, just a great player. Some of you may remember this. Uh, in the sixth game of the 1977 World Series, Jackson hit three home runs off of three consecutive pitches by three different pitchers. Three pitchers, three pitches, three home runs. To my knowledge, nobody else has ever done anything like that. 
before. And, and so no surprise, in 1993, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, well-deserved, uh, amazing career, amazing player, amazing hitter. But there's one thing and one statistic that most people don't know or don't remember about Reggie Jackson. And he's been retired for like 35 years now and still nobody has, nobody's come close to really even breaking this record. Uh, and that is that he holds the record for the most strikeouts of all time. It's, five, it's 2,597 strikeouts. Reggie Jackson was actually four and a half times more likely in his career to strike out than he was to hit a home run. And yet nobody remembers that. Why? Because nobody cares. Nobody cares. You know, they remember all the times that he did hit a home run. And I think if we think about that and apply that to our lives, and as we, as we, we learn to grow in our walk with Jesus, you know, so many of us are afraid to miss. We're, we're so afraid that we're gonna swing and strike out and look foolish or make a mistake, but we miss out on the opportunities to every once in a while hit a home run with God, to be a part of that. And I think that's what Jesus is inviting us into, to take risks, to, to, to when we see a pitch coming that we think we might be able to hit, to take a swing. If the worship team wants to start to make their way back up here, I'll end with this story. Last, last Friday, Michael and uh, Brett, our youth pastor and I went out to lunch just here in town, a local restaurant. And we had a, our waiter was a young guy, pretty fit guy. I thought he could crush me in like a second. Um, but he was moving kind of slow. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And then I looked down and I saw that his ankle was all bandaged up, like all wrapped up and had this brace on it. And so I was making conversation and I said, hey, it, it looks like you hurt your ankle. What'd you, what'd you do to your ankle? And he said, oh, I was helping my grandmother move. And I, don't, I just was carrying something and I turned and I tweaked it. And, uh, and it just doesn't seem to want to get better. And I don't really know how it's going to get better because I'm on my feet all the time doing this job. And, and, um, and you know, being a super spiritually in tune Christian, I said, oh, that stinks. And then I turned to Michael and Brett and just started talking about something else. And it was like one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. Andrew, Earth Andrew, this is an awesome opportunity to offer to pray for this guy. And I, and I, I was a little slow on the uptick. But after, you know, we, we had our meal, we got our check. And I kind of leaned over to Michael and Brett and I said, hey, do you think it'd be weird if we offered to pray for this guy and his ankle? And they, they were like, no, thumbs up, go for it. And so I kind of waved him back over and I said, hey, I know you're really busy and you got a, you got a lot of customers today. And, uh, but we're Christians and this might be odd, but could we pray for your ankle? And he said, okay. And so I, I classic vineyard, I stood up beside him. I put my hand on his shoulder and I just prayed a real simple prayer. Hey Lord, you know, we just pray that you'd heal his ankle, that the pain would go away, the swelling would go down, whatever's tweaked or twisted, that you would heal it. And do you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. And so why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because, you know, up here, we, we hear all the glory stories, right? We hear all the great stories. But for every one of those great stories, there's probably four and a half times more of those big swing and miss stories, you know, big whiff. Now, I did say to him, I said, hey, if it, if it gets better throughout the day, you know, we're at the vineyard. We'd love to, I'd, you know, give us a call. I'd love to talk to you about 
what happened and, you know, and, and pray, for, you know, pray for you more and tell you about Jesus. And I said, but if, if, if it doesn't get better, we're from Sunbury Christian. And um, I did, I, we love Sunbury Christian. You know, we pray for them. I did say that though. Uh, we had a good chuckle. But I, I, here's, what I, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe with my whole heart. At the end of the day, like, we want to grow being like Peter and John, being like Wimber, not because they were super special, but because they were available, they were attentive, and they were willing to take a chance, to take a chance, take action when they felt like God was doing something in their midst. He's inviting us to be like Christian Reggie Jacksons, right? Willing to swing for the fence, knowing we're going to strike out sometimes. That's okay. That's okay. But if God's in it, sometimes we will get a chance to partner with him and see him do amazing things and see people come to know him and be in relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.